Hello, and welcome to Saga Shorts, where we look at the shorter stories, or thotter, of medieval Iceland. I'm John. And I'm Andy. This is our third installment of Saga Shorts, and if you're not sure what we're up to here, or what Thatter even are, then you're going to want to go back and listen to our first episode of Saga Shorts. Uh-huh. Uh, you can find that in our episode archive at sagathingpodcast.wordpress.com. Mm-hmm. The, the first Saga Short is nestled cozily between episodes 22 and 23, because uh-huh. we decided early on that numerical logic was for lightweights. Well, that's right. Uh, but it, makes, it made sense at the time. Sure. So this time around, we'll be sharing a fun little tale about a boy and some trolls. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Didn't we see a family of trolls in our last saga short? Yeah, yeah, we did. It's becoming something of a theme for us. Yes. uh, And if you recall the details of the Thauter of Thorsten Bulleg, then you'll note a lot of similarities between Thorsten's slaughter of a troll family and our new hero's adventure. In fact, I did notice that. Yes, but it's not exactly the same. So there are some interesting things to say about this one, and I think we'll, we'll kind of get into those near the end. Mm-hmm. Well, for one thing, it's nowhere near as long as Thorsten Bull's leg. No, no. Our last saga short wasn't actually short at all. In fact, it read more like a saga than a thatter. Right. Now, our story for today is much more traditional in length and subject matter in that mm-hmm. it's more of a self-contained episode rather than a series of adventures. This one has a quick pace, but it's a lot of fun. Ah, but does it have any troll vomit? Uh, sadly, no. No troll vomit. All that vomit was used up on Thorsten. <laughs> if I recall correctly, some of it was used up in Thorsten. Ugh. Gross. <laughs> yes. Uh, so uh, what do we have here? Well, we're doing this one now because it picks up right where Kjellnissing Saga left off. This is the tale of Jokel Buesen. Little boy Buesen? The one and only. The son of the giantess Frith? And the no-good outlaw Bua Andretson? That's the one. Yes. Well, uh, we outlawed him. I don't know whether mm-hmm. most readers of the saga would call Bua a no-good outlaw. But don't change yeah. the subject. Mm-hmm. We're talking about Jokel Buasen, the boy who just wanted a hug from his daddy, but ended up in a wrestling match to the death instead. Yes. Not covered yeah. in cats in the cradle, but it's, uh, <laughs> it's implied. Yes, that's the one. The same Jokel Buesen who fled Iceland in shame after killing said father in said wrestling match. Mm-hmm. Yes. Let me make sure we got this straight. We're telling a story about Jokel Buesen, the man about whom Kjallnissinga Saga says explicitly, we have no further tales about him. That guy. Yes, that one. Uh-huh. And it turns out that there is another tale about yeah. him. Yeah. <laughs> It's only three chapters and short enough that, well, it might have simply been lost in the stacks of papers and books the Kjallnissinga Saga author was using. Right. So you're assuming that the Kjallnissinga Saga author is as messy as you are. Uh, yes. <laughs> I think it's far more likely that the author just didn't know about it or, in fact, that it hadn't actually been written yet. Well, either way, I'm glad that someone threw this silly little story together whenever they did because it's it's a fun one. And uh, uh, since we were speaking of length a moment ago, would you care to guess how many decikels the short comes in at. Hmm. Remind me again what a desikel is. Oh, you know what a desikel is. Sure, but maybe maybe our listeners don't. So I'm asking on their behalf. What oh, is a desikel? Fine, fine, sure you were. Uh, a desikel is a tenth of a hrovnikel, uh-huh. which we arbitrarily decided would serve as our unit of measurement for the saga shorts. Mm. So one tenth of a hrovnikel saga equals a desikel. Uh, our first thoughter, the classic tale of Thorstein Staffstruck, 
was a mere 2.87 decicels. Ah, small but mighty, that one. Mm. Just the right length. Yeah, fun size. Uh, our second thouter, the tail of Thorsten Bull's leg, was quite a bit longer, coming in at 7.22 decicels. Which is almost a whole Hrofenkel. Right, like three quarters of a Hrofenkel saga. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, you mentioned that Yoko Buwison's tale is a shorter story. So you want to venture a guess at how many decicels it is? Uh, no, not really. We could just get started. You don't want to guess if it's, say, shorter than Thorsten's staff truck? No, I'm all right. But I, I think it is. By how much would you guess? Listen, if you don't reveal that number, I'm turning off the mic and going home. <laughs> all right, all right. Uh, the tale of Yoko Buwison actually weighs in at a heftier, but mm. still svelte, 3.55 decicels. Really? Longer than... Well, I guess it's been so long since we did Staff Struck that uh, mm. it, that I just don't remember. Um, it's but not the size of the staff. It's how you strike with it, Andy. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But it, this one felt so fast. And now, <laughs> for uh, just a warning, I don't think it's going to be that fast tonight. <laughs> Are you suggesting that we're going to talk too much about our subject? <laughs> Never. All right. <laughs> on with the show. Part one, a three-hour tour. So Yokel's story <laughs> picks up exactly where Kjalna Singa Saga left off. It begins almost as if it's a continuation of the saga itself rather than a separate story. Yeah. It opens with, now... Yokel thought his deed so terrible that he rode away from there immediately to a ship which was at Erebaki, and he sailed with Ulf the Skipper. See, that's almost word for word what we find in Kjolna Singa Saga, mm-hmm. which says, Yokel thought his deed so terrible that he rode away immediately to a ship that was ready in the south at Erebaki. He went abroad that summer, and we have no further tales about him. <laughs> well, I mean, you can see why the story leaves that last part off. Right. Um, now, that would be awkward. Right. One of two things is happening here. Either either this Yokel story is an episode that was rejected for inclusion in Kalmasinga Saga by the author, or a later author picked up Kalmasinga Saga and decided to continue the story with Yokel's side of things. A kind of Kalmasinga Saga, the next generation, if you will. Sure. I, I mean, I won't, but sure. Well, there are three manuscripts groups containing Kalmasinga Saga. And only Group C appends Yokel Stouter to the saga. Mm-hmm. And groups A and B state that there are no other tales about Yokel that, like, just like we read, and they mm-hmm. don't include the Thouter at all. Right, so they're just sort of shoving it under the carpet and whistling as they walk away. Uh, I suspect it wasn't written yet, but right. yes. Um, but but I can see why it wouldn't fit well in Kjalnasinga Saga if it was written. I mean, the story was moving to an end there. Mm. And it would be really odd, but not unheard of in saga writing, to suddenly shift away from that location of the resolving action to follow a new character on a crazy adventure to right. foreign lands. I mean, we but we do see that, right? The uh, Greta's saga, for example, ended with uh, his brother, uh, Dromund, tracing, mm-hmm. tra- tracing his killer all the way to Byzantium, killing him, but then having this entire sort of strange adventure where he gets thrown in jail, meets a young woman, and so forth. Yeah. Uh, it's, I mean, so we do occasionally get those odd codas, uh, but I mean, there's no denying that this is a this is a crazy adventure and quite a coda. Uh, mm-hmm. So, um, Andy, just sit right back and you'll hear a tale. Ah, a tale <laughs> of a fateful trip. Yeah, there you go. It started from an Icelandic port aboard a tiny ship. Was it tiny though? I, I don't recall <laughs> that being mentioned. You're, you're not helping. Just play along. All right. The mate was a mighty sailing man, Ulf the skipper, brave and sure. There you go. 
Several <laughs> passengers set sail that day for a three-hour tour. A three-hour tour. Although in reality, they were probably just headed to Norway, which is going right, to take more than three that. hours. <laughs> you got you to go with it. All right. The weather started getting rough. The tiny ship was tossed. If not for the courage of the fearless crew, the Nor would be lost. <laughs> nice. The Nor would be lost. Yeah, see how nicely that fits? It definitely works. Yeah. yeah. So uh, the ship never reaches Norway mm-hmm. or wherever they were headed. And they end up drifting out at sea all summer and into autumn. That is, that is, a, that is a long time a to very uh, long lose time. your way. Surprised they have provisions for that kind of a trip. I'm assuming there are a lot of fish dinners on board. Yeah, well, hopefully they had some oranges as well. Mm-hmm. Anyway, in autumn, the weather gets worse, as if it could, and the men spend all of their time bailing water out of the boat. Right, now things get so bad that everyone but Yokel collapses from exhaustion or, you know, just surrender to the fates. Mm-hmm. Uh, he bails for four days all by himself, but it honestly doesn't really matter in the end. The ship is pulled into some breakers and dashed against the rocks. Now, the ship breaks up, and everyone is thrown into the sea. Uh, a lot of the crew drowns, but uh, several men are driven up onto a skerry. Ooh, how frightening. Really? I, I see it? what you did there, and I'm ignoring yeah. it. No, uh, some people like that. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> no scary, one like that. No. Frightening. Uh, so Yokel and the surviving crew are all stranded on these rocks in or a scaries. violent storm. They're cold and exhausted. But Yokel, a mere boy of 12, still has some strength left in him. Now, do you think that strength comes from his father or his mother? Well, I mean, I'm guessing it's the uh, the giant's blood of his mother. It's definitely not from Bua. Remember, ah. Bua kept getting overmatched in one-on-one fights. It's a bit of a loser, I'm afraid. <laughs> Fair enough. So, Yokel jumps off the scary and back into the water, hoping to make his way to shore. Mm. Because the surf is so rough, he has to swim underwater for most of the distance. And when he arrives at the shore, finally, all of his clothes are frozen. This is an impressive feat. Well, I mean, it's really just a matter of it being cold out. Well, uh, I think uh, fighting the, the, the surf <laughs> and all that is a Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, because he's not out of trouble just yet. The storm is still raging and Bua is completely lost. They have no idea where they've washed up here. Yeah. Uh, his clothes are frozen. He can hardly move. Now, the storm forces him down the shore a ways. Until he finds himself at an ancient hall. Mm. The door is locked, but there's a key hanging on the doorpost next to it. <laughs> That's convenient. Isn't it, though? Somebody doesn't really understand what keys are for. Yeah, it must have been Canadian. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, so nice up there. Uh, so inside the hall, he finds a fire, two beds, and evidence that people had been there recently, as if the fire weren't sufficient evidence for that. Uh, it looked like a decent place to stay. At yeah. first. And while most people would have collapsed on the bed and fallen immediately into a deep sleep, Yokel remembered the crew stranded on the scary out beyond the breakers. Mm-hmm. And so he goes back out into the storm, dives into the water, and all the way out to the scary. Seven men were dead by this point, but 18 were still alive. Mm-hmm. And despite everything he's been through, Yokel maintains a sense of humor. He just pops up out of the water like a seal and says, You guys planning to stay here forever? I would kick him in the face. I mean, these guys are dying, and he's working a tight five on shipwrecks. Nah, they need a good laugh to right, sure. break their spirits. Uh, but Ulf the Skipper doesn't seem to mind. He wittily responds, Well, somewhere other than this would be better in the long run. <laughs> See, he gets it. Yeah. And uh, somehow Yokel manages to guide all 18 men one by one to land. Wow. 
when the crew are all together, he leads them to the hall. By the warmth of a large fire, the men quickly revive. That's crazy. 18 mm-hmm. men one by one. I mean, that is an incredible feat of strength it's and stamina. It's almost unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. No, I wish, uh, you know, I wish that Yoko was available to us as Thingman because mm-hmm. he would be great to have around. Well, he, he would have been. Uh, and he's, he's not done yet, by the way. The problem right now is that nobody knows where they've landed or whether it's safe to go to sleep in this hall. Mm, yeah, well, I'm sure they've read Homer's Odyssey and they know the dangers of shipwreck sailors hang out in strange lands. And if they haven't, we haven't, and we can say it's not a great plan. Well, exactly, but it's not like they have another option, right? Uh, so Yokel suggests that they place a guard to watch over everybody as they sleep. That's smart. Ulf the Skipper does volunteer, but kind of half-heartedly. He says, oh, I think my strength is gone, but do, do you want me to? <laughs> yeah, not terribly encouraging there. Uh, I want to so know at, why the skipper is asking a 12-year-old exactly. for a lead on this. And as you'd expect, Yokel, the 12-year-old boy, has to do it himself. Mm-hmm. So all these grown men lay down to sleep, and poor Yokel has to stand guard all by himself. Well, I mean, he, okay, he's 12, but it's a saga 12. A sturdy he's, 12. He's, yeah, he's definitely grown into man's estate. Mm. Well, that's fair. And it's a good thing he has because... The situation is about to get worse. Dun dun dun. Part two. My favorite troll hag. Okay. You know, I'm not gonna lie, I like that one. Very clever. <laughs> Very clever. Oh, you got you got that one? I wasn't sure you'd know that reference. Really? That's my favorite Martian. Oh, yeah. The original Mork and Mindy. Um I've never thought of it that way. Well, I didn't you think should. of uh, Mork and Mindy as being the original Perfect Strangers. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, Yokel was uh, standing guard over a sleepy crew. That's right. Everyone else is sleeping after being rescued, and Yokel's left to watch over them all. I mean, sure, he just survived a nasty shipwreck after being stranded at sea for months. Sure, he swam to shore through frigid and violent seas over and over again, saving every member of the crew. Ah, he's a young buck. He's got the energy. Let him do it. Sure. Now, Yokel uses the time that he has to survey the territory. Mm-hmm. The moonlight is dim, but he can see well enough to walk along the shore. And as he does so, he notices that the ship's cargo has begun washing ashore. Oh, well, that's good news. It's great news. And there are two creatures gathering the cargo into one spot. That's not great news. That is not good news at all. Uh, it doesn't <coughs> even say people. It says creatures. Mm-hmm. So, Yokel being cautious, stops to watch them. <laughs> and from the shape and sound, he quickly determines that they're troll hags. Sure. He's got his little spotter's guide out, and he's looking for a troll hag. Uh, right. Now, he can hear their conversation, and what he hears is not great. Uh, the first troll hag, her name is Nipa, says, There's something walking on the sand there. And the other hag, named Gate, says, I don't know what it could be. <laughs> Well deranged, Grover. Let me explain it to you. <laughs> all right. Uh, now, fortunately, Nipa seems to have figured it all out, somewhat miraculously, I have to say. It must be Yorker, the son of Bura and Freeth, Dofri's daughter. He's the most famous one around now, and the girl who marries him will be well set up. Okay, I, I have a, a couple of questions for you. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not surprised you have questions because this doesn't make a lot of sense. 
how does she know all of this, this mm-hmm. information, who it is and his <laughs> his pedigree yeah. from just collecting cargo on a dark beach? Well, I mean, it's impossible to tell, but maybe uh, maybe Yokel's luggage was monogrammed. <laughs> and, and how is Yokel suddenly the most famous one around? What mm. exactly has he done besides accidentally kill his father in that wrestling match, flee Iceland, and then get lost at sea? Yeah, it's, it's kind of legendary figure a random troll hag should be gossiping about. No. What is interesting here, however, is the introduction of marriage as a theme. Mm-hmm. And given Gnipa's observation that the girl who marries Yokel will be well set up, it's clear that she's thinking of her own future. That's oh. interesting. Please tell me that Yokel's marrying a troll hag. Well, Gnipa and Gate uh, are certainly interested in him as a prospect. Mm-hmm. They agree to approach him and offer an ultimatum of sorts. Gate says, We'll give him two choices. Either to marry one of us, or else we'll kill him. Right. As long as he doesn't turn to the end of the book and find the monster. <laughs> I don't think I don't think Gates gonna like what's at the end of this book. Right. That's a fair point. <laughs> Spoilers. Uh, yeah. Honestly, neither of those options is terribly appealing. Yeah. Yokel doesn't think so either. Uh, they bound over to him with long strides, mm-hmm. and the saga gives us a pretty decent description of them here. They had frowning faces, long noses and their lips hung down to their chests. They were dressed in skin cloaks so long in front that they almost trod on them, and reaching down behind to the top of the buttocks. They slapped their hands on their thighs and behaved in a very unladylike way. Yeah, I feel like we're into a whole different Muppet category now. <laughs> yeah. Um, what's, what's that uh, giant one's name that's always chasing them around in the Muppet movie? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that guy. Um, somebody write in. <laughs> so... We've got two troll hags whose lips hung down on their chests. Yeah. That is a disturbing image. Yeah, they aren't great bride material, according to traditional standards. Right. It's important to put that in that caveat. You never know. Individual tastes vary, Andy. Exactly. Uh, Now, that last detail about behaving in an unladylike way, that's important. As we'll see, uh, this story is very much driven by an interest in uh, women as a participant in the marriage process. Mm-hmm. And I suppose that extends to troll hags as well. Absolutely. Um, which, of course, means that this text is going to be right in Andy's wheelhouse as a text. That's right. Um, so I'm going to take the rest of the night off. Oh, no, no. We'll, and uh, you can just carry on. we got to get through the story first. So let's oh. talk about all of that after we finished. But I do think it's important to pay attention to how Nipa in particular acts compared <laughs> to the more traditional Icelandic saga feature. Right. <laughs> I think it's going to be easy to start ignoring Gate pretty soon. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Now, the differences are going to be obvious, uh, I think, starting with the decision to approach Yoko on her own to arrange what, I mean, we can call arrange a marriage. Yeah, and by coercion, no less. Now, I don't believe we've seen many women in the sagas behave like that. And Yokel is clearly put off. And I'm not even <laughs> sure if Nipa and Gate get the chance to deliver their proposal because Yokel immediately mm. pulls out his sword and chops off Gate's head. <laughs> well, that's a fine. How do you do? <laughs> and then Gnipa attacks and a fierce wrestling match ensues. So the betrothal right. isn't really going so well. <laughs> no, no. Uh, Yokel's got a real problem with uh, stumbling into these deadly wrestling matches, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. It's It's got to be his fault at some point, right? I mean, how many times? Right. right. You got to think about the, the, the commonality here, yeah. uh, Yokel. You know the old saying? Death match me once, shame on you. Death match me twice, shame on me. <laughs> no, I don't think that's how it goes. It was, uh, let me think. I'm, uh, I'm pretty sure. It, it's an old saying in Iceland. I, I know it's in Norway. It says, death match me once, shame on shame on you. Death match me, you can't get death matched again. 
something like that. <laughs> That's a very topical reference. Way to go. That's right. And not we do very... politics. We do cutting edge politics. Yeah. Lackluster impressions of George <laughs> W. Bush. Anyway, uh, yeah, that's a, that, that's a famous saying. I'm pretty sure. Uh, yeah, that's a, that's definitely the expression. Anyway, uh, so Nipa attacks, and Yoko quickly finds himself at a disadvantage, mm-hmm. like father, like son. I guess uh, this match is a bit more deadly than his fight with Bua. Although I suppose you know you can't be more deadly than the father being killed. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, if you've read your Beowulf, then you know that female trolls are a formidable opponents. So this isn't surprising. Oh, yes. Yeah, Nipa is a lot stronger than Yoko. Yeah. Uh, she beats him until, as we're told, all his flesh is blue and bloody. But uh, Yoko manages to surprise Nipa with a hip throw. She comes down hard on her head and then lies flat on the ground. Uh, Nipa is uh, aware he's got the advantage now and says, Mithras of the fall now, man. All right. Now, how do you read that line, John? You just heard me. Mithras of the fall now, man. No, no, no. I mean, what do you think Nipa's implying there by make use of the fall now, man? <laughs> <laughs> to me, it's... Why it's do a- all of your trolls sound like Grover? <laughs> <laughs> it, it's it's training reading to children. That's how it works. There you go. It, it's, uh, it's an awkward translation of the Icelandic is what I'm implying. Is it? You think so? Yeah, I think so. The, the Icelandic is njotu nufalsins, Karlmather. Or should I do it in the in the in the Grover voice? No, I know my my Icelandic pronunciation is terrible, but the verb there "njota" means to take advantage of, profit from, or enjoy. Mm. Honestly, I hadn't thought much about it to be honest. Uh, she's wrestling with Yokel. She's acknowledging she's about to be defeated. Uh, I guess she just assumed. I, I just assumed she was encouraging him to take advantage of the moment, finish her off. See, that's how I read it at first too. But then you Put know, on a brave I, front, you know. That's how I read it at first, too. But but then I found a better reading of it mm. when I was poking around looking for references to this thouter in uh, in the scholarship. Oh, <laughs> uh, I already don't like where this is heading. But first of all, you found somebody who actually talks about the content of the story. Yeah, yeah. It's not mentioned often at all. But when it is, it's usually for the sake of comparison or to highlight the presence of trolls in the story and troll behavior. Mm. Anyway, in, in my search, I stumbled upon John McKennell's book, Meeting the Other in Norse Myth and Legend. McKinnell only really talks about this line in the text. Uh, he, he argues that the context here suggests that Gnipa means something more like, now use your advantage to take me sexually. Ah. Mm-hmm. Um, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. I can see that. I mean, female trolls and giants are, uh, you know, as we saw with his father's story, sometimes depicted as uh, sexualized creatures. Yeah. Occasionally hypersexualized. Uh, it's possible that the author's playing here uh, for a moment of levity, right? using that uh, that medieval idea about the insatiability of the female libido. Yes. For a joke. Yeah. Um, and, and we saw that same kind of sexual aggressiveness with uh, Freeth mm-hmm. in Kjellnissinga Saga. So I don't think exactly, it would be surprising. Yeah. Now, we already know that uh, Nipa and Gate got themselves all worked up over Yokel. Mm-hmm. He's, a, he's a good-looking, marriageable lad. That's right. Uh, it's possible McKinnell's onto something here. All right. Yeah, I'd hoped you'd say that. Why? Well, because now you have to reread the line with the appropriate hint of innuendo. Oh, wait a minute. So that's what you were heading with all this. (laughs) Maybe, maybe not. But uh, we can't move forward until you add a bit of sexiness. Troll, (laughs) troll libido to that line. You gotta gotta get me drunk first, Andy. Uh, Take advantage of the fall now, man. That's a little sinister, but maybe that works in troll culture. (laughs) But there you go. Uh, you have a problem, sir. Could you put some lipstick on and try that again? 
<laughs> no. <laughs> That's, oh. uh, we're getting into a whole different thing here. Uh, I don't mind. Uh, I don't mind your flirtatious eyes, but uh, I'm not going to be dressing up as a troll for you. Uh, what can I say, though? I do like your sexy troll voice. Well, sadly, Yokel isn't as impressed by Nippa's innuendo or her voice. Uh, maybe he just doesn't uh, doesn't get it at first. Right. Well, he says, basically, no thanks. You're going the same way as your sister. Mm-hmm. Uh, but before he can do that, Nippa asks him to spare her in exchange for whatever his men need. Now, given the desperate situation they're in, that's a that's a pretty good offer. Yeah. I mean, they, they are stranded, alone. They still don't know where they are, remember? Mm-hmm. Uh, Yokel accepts on the condition that Gnipa swears to be loyal and helpful to him. Mm-hmm. And Gnipa agrees to aid Yokel in whatever he needs, but then immediately starts complaining to Yokel about his treatment of her sister, Gate. Which yeah. It's kind of fair, I guess. <laughs> I mean, it's, well, a little bit, but it was Gate who said he'll either marry us or we'll kill him. So She never even got that uh, out of her mouth, though. <laughs> right, well. <laughs> now, uh, so Gnipa says... It was a disgraceful thing to do, Yokel, killing my sister, a 12-year-old child, just now. Oh, what's the big deal? Isn't Yokel 12? 12 on 12 violence, it's common. Well, I mean, you know, maybe he had a birthday while they were stranded at sea all summer. Oh, that would be a sad, depressing party. (laughs) Now, Nipa also informs Yokel of her big family. She explains that she's 13, and that she has, oh, well, maybe she can take him to junior high prom. Uh... (laughs) Now, she has six other siblings. Most of them are brothers. Yeah. And she's now the youngest of the group, uh, which suggests that everyone else in the family would be a greater threat to young Yokel and his friends. Yeah, but Yokel is unmoved by this threat. He just says, that doesn't bother me. What he really huh. wants to know is where they've landed. Yeah, it turns out they're in Greenland. Ah. Uh, now, specifically, Knipa tells him that he's landed in Olumlengri, uh, which means... Longer than anything fjord, or the longest fjord. Yes, I love that name. Olum Lengri Fjord. Yes, I've enjoyed the movie. Uh, It's a a very descriptive name, isn't it? Yes, it is. Now, I know you love looking into these saga place names. Do you have any idea? Is it a real place? Well, the short answer is no. Okay. But the long answer is that it's... the longest answer? (laughs) The longest, (laughs) longer than any other, is that it's probably Scoresby Sound on the eastern coast of Greenland. Uh, Uh It's a likely candidate since Scoresby Sound is one of the longest fjords in the whole wide world. Following its longest branch from the mouth, the Scoresby Sound extends more than 200 miles inland. He said looking at his notes. Right, (laughs) And what are three things to do on a on a budget if, if you find yourself in school? <laughs> well, you're going to want to pack your own food, uh, Mr. Andy Franger of Lonely Planet. Uh, so just because there's a really long fjord in Greenland does not mean that our author has any specific place in mind. Right. I mean, there are a lot of long fjords in Greenland. Did you find anything about a place specifically called Alumlengri Fjord? Yes, I did, actually. The The sound is currently named after the English explorer William Scoresby, who mapped the fjord back in 1822. Mm-hmm. So it had to be called something else before 1822, right? Yeah, I assume it was named after uh, Bob Olumlengri. <laughs> uh, I mean, not necessarily, so go on. Well, this fjord did have a name, uh, and I surveyed a bunch of old maps from the 18th century, which I always love doing. Um, the most readily available is the map of Greenland by Emmanuel Bowen, an English map maker. 
Now his map features a crudely drawn Greenland that is almost cut in half by a long fjord running east to west labeled Olumlengrifirth. And I'm going oh, to uh, post yes. a picture of that in our show notes. Yeah, yeah I, can, I can picture that map now that you say it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it doesn't cut all the way across Greenland. Well, there's just a little tiny piece of it. That, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> in fact, there's a there's a sentence written on the map inside the long fjord. And I had to look around for kind of a high def one that I could zoom in on. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, so it's on the, the written along the fjord and on the southern shore. And mm-hmm. the, the message, the sentence reads, it is said that these straits were formerly passable, but now they are shut up with ice. So I suppose it's possible that Olamlengri Fjord once cut much deeper into Greenland than it did when uh, both Bowen and Scoresby drew their maps. Um, I don't know if it goes. I'm not sure I'm buying this. <laughs> uh, I mean, it, you know, it would have gone a little bit further inland during the medieval warm period, at least. But uh, I mean, there is there is actual land under Greenland. I, I don't think it ever ran coast to coast. One assumes, yeah. Um, I agree with you. Uh, I don't so, think you have to assume, but they've actually done. <laughs> yeah. They sent people up there with shovels. They know. Yeah. So this same fjord is identified as Olamlengri going all the way back to the 1340s when a Norwegian cleric named Ivar Barthesen was sent to the east coast of Greenland. Now he described the coastline in great detail, including a reference to Olamlengri. He writes, Still further eastward from Berefjord is another fjord called Olamlengri, or longest of all. At its mouth it is narrow, but further in very wide. Its length is so great that no one knows the end of it. Well, that just sounds lazy to me. <laughs> no, just go. It just keep going to get to the end of it. Well, it goes uh, more than 200 miles. How, right. how much time has he got? Right. So, I mean, this might explain the, that later mapmaker decision to make Alam Lengri just ludicrously long. Yeah, I have a feeling he just kind of looked mm. in, looked down the uh, the fjord and then read the book and was like, eh, it goes forever. <laughs> so, right. um, I, 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 but I, I do doubt that it's, if you look at the map, it's it's like so straight and yeah, long. Yeah, uh, I don't yeah. think Bowen was terribly accurate. Uh, so the, the short answer to the question about uh, Olam Lengri existing is no. That's right. But the long answer is definitively yes. Well, I don't know about definitively. I would never presume yeah. to offer a definitive answer about a question such as this mm-hmm. uh, because I'm a wishy-washy scholar. Now, <laughs> did the did the author have the actual Olam Lengri in mind when he shipwrecked Yoko Buisson there? Or did he simply like the name Olam Lengri that he had heard uh, and then used it for the story? I can't say one way or the other. Yeah, I'm starting to wish I had just accepted the short answer. Oh, really? Well, let me ask you a question about a nickname then. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fair enough. I can tell you about Gate and uh, Gnipa's names if you want. No, thanks. Uh, we can... <laughs> Too late. Uh, Gate means... Goat, you'll be shocked to hear. <laughs> I'm not shocked. Uh, and Gnipa means uh, peak or summit. But there's another version, uh, Gnipa, <sighs> which can be traced back to Gnipa, which means to droop or stoop, rather like a droopy lip on a chest. Uh-huh. Yeah. All right. So Gnipa just told Yokel that he's in Olamlengri Fjord. Mm-hmm. Then she explains that mm-hmm. her family also lives nearby. Her father yeah. is a troll named Surt, and her mother is called Serpa. Right now, Surt, of course, means black or swarthy. Quiet, John. Surpa, uh, John, can be translated roughly as either swill or dirty woman. Although that's, I mean, that's a that's a bit of a stretch. <laughs> that's enough out of you, John. You started this. <laughs> Gnipa goes on to explain something of her desperate situation as the youngest of the family. She says, "My father is very old, and my brothers and sisters don't want me to inherit anything." And I'm not pleased about that. 
although I'll have to put up with it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and this, I think, picks up on that marriage theme I mentioned earlier. Without mm-hmm. a worthy man to take care of her, troll or otherwise, Nipa is looking at a pretty grim future. Well, I mean, we can return to that for some discussion at the end. Uh, for now, Yokel and Gnipa uh, conclude their conversation in part. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she says, We part in sight, though not in friendship. Oh, how lovely for both of them. Isn't it? Yeah. Part three. All in the family. Ah, so we've advanced to 70 sitcom titles now, I see. Hey. If the shoe fits. (laughs) Well, I guess so. Uh, Now I'm wishing that there are a lot more sections to this story. I'm curious how long you can keep this silly gimmick going. All them angry, Andy. Longer than anything. Well, we'll just have to see about that. Now, when Yokel, Ulf, and the shipwrecked crew wake up the next morning, they're determined to search for food and supplies, which I think is a great idea if you're stranded on a Olum Langri fjord. (laughs) Now, it's true, but when they step outside... They surprisingly find enough food and supplies waiting outside to last them 12 months. That's great. And where did all of that come from? Well, it's never mentioned, but uh, Gnipa did uh, swear to provide Yokel and his men with anything they needed. Hmm. It looks like she's a, she's a troll with initiative, Andy. That's right. And as good as her word. She's so helpful. And mm-hmm. now that they don't have to worry so much about food, Yokel announces that he and Ulf will be heading up into the glaciers. The rest of the sure. crew will work on collecting the ship's cargo and bringing it all to the hall. Which sounds like a decent plan, although I'm not sure what Yokel hopes to accomplish up in the glaciers. Yeah, that's not clear to the others either, but he and mm-hmm. Ulf went up into the glaciers all the same. And before too long, they run into Gnipa, who greets them kindly and asks where they're headed. To your father's cave, says Yokel. <laughs> well, I wonder what he wants to get up to there. Hmm. Uh, meet up with uh, Surt and Serpa and tell them... What a wonderful young troll hag they've raised. Yeah, I'm sure that's exactly what he wants to do. Young Mm -hmm. heroes are always eager to develop a rapport with troll families. So, Ignipa leads the two men to the mouth of a large cave. Now, it must be quite far because we're told that it's evening by this point and they had just woken up to see the food outside. Ignipa tells them that she won't be going inside with them. Her father, Surt, is inside with her mother, Serpa, and her sisters. But her brothers, Siom, Sneetel, and Ethel are not at home. They have gone to your hall, planning to kill all your men and steal the cargo. I am going to help them now. Wait a minute. Now, is she going to help her brothers <laughs> kill Yokel's men, or is she going to help the men against the brothers? Yeah. No, I, I love this. This is a, a case of unclear pronoun usage creating a little bit of tension. Does it? <laughs> uh, remember, she's Yokel's sworn companion mm-hmm. now. Uh, so we assume she's going to defend the humans against her brothers, but I don't know if that's entirely clear at this know. point. Yeah, it's hard to say. Uh, but I think it's very nice of her if she's going to help the uh, the humans. And uh, I'm uh-huh. sure that Yoko will mention... More of a traitor in, uh, <laughs> in my mind. But <laughs> I'm sure if she is helping the humans that Yoko will mention uh, how kind she is uh, when he mm-hmm. meets certain Serpa. Yeah, let's assume that his intentions are slightly less noble than mm-hmm. that. I think you're right, because after Knipa leaves, Ulf and Yokel enter the cave. And inside, they see three large troll hags sitting around a cauldron hung over a fire. Yokel, man of action that he is, doesn't take any time mm-hmm. to appreciate this lovely domestic scene. He leaps into the mm-hmm. room with his sword drawn like a, a wild Lancelot and hacks <laughs> into the neck of the nearest troll. A wild Lancelot? <laughs> I'm thinking of John Cleese's Lancelot just running into <laughs> yeah, the, I, the wedding feast. <laughs> 
A wild Lancelot? Yes. <laughs> the untamed Lancelot. Uh, yes. Uh, she hacks into the neck of the nearest troll. Mm. Her head flies off and lands in the cauldron. Two points. Mm. It's a nice touch. Too bad we're not awarding a best bloodship for this one. I know, right? Ulf the skipper then gets in on the action, thrusting a spear into the into the next one. Good for you, Ulf. Way to, uh, way to let everybody know you're here. Yeah. Uh, the third troll woman rushes at Yokel, clearly identifying him as the dangerous one. Uh, nearly knocking him over in the process. Uh, he regains his footing quite quickly. The two end up wrestling all over the room <sighs> because there's always wrestling. Uh, frankly, I wasn't prepared for so much wrestling. Uh, but they're crashing into everything. They're almost rolling into the fire. They're destroying the furniture. Yokel finally manages to get an arm free, ducks under her, lifts her above his head, then dunks her head first into the boiling cauldron. Presumably where her sister's head is still bobbing around. I would assume so. That <laughs> seems extremely painful. Yeah, ouch. Yeah. And they're not done. Yokel and Ulf make their way deeper into the cave where they hear some voices. And they conclude that it must be Gnipa's parents, Sort and Sorpa. Now, are we just assuming that these are hard of hearing trolls? I mean, how did Sort and Sirpa not hear all that racket from the wrestling match in the first Yeah, room? I don't know. This is an epic fight that ends with a person being sort of body slammed into a boiling cauldron. And we're supposed to believe that it all happens silently? Well, I'm sure it made a sound of some sort. But mm-hmm. Sort and Sorpa are deep in the cave. They're, and plus, they're older, mm-hmm. right? Maybe they didn't take good care yeah. of their ears when they were younger. Right. Would that be a lesson to all you young trolls out there, by the way? Where uh, we're hearing protection when massacring groups of humans. You'll thank yourself later. So Surpa asks Sort, so we, we kind of shift into the scene with Sort and Surpa. Uh, and Surpa asks Sort where their sons are out so late and where they've gotten off to. Are you asking, woman? Says Sir. I sent Shom and Sinidl and Etel to Yokel and Ulf's Hall. They're supposed to kill them all and bring the goods back here. But that will be small compensation for our daughters, Gate and Gnipa. Whom Yokel killed. Uh-huh. First of all, I really like that voice. Um, but I, oh, think, well, I, think I think this one's interesting. Sort and Sorpa <laughs> have no idea that Gnipa is still alive. Yeah, that seems to be the case, doesn't it? Yeah, which means that she never went home after meeting Yokel at all. Well, hang on. She never made her presence known at home. Mm, yeah. Uh, she clearly knew her father's plan, so she must have gone home, stolen supplies, and spied on her family. Wow. Mipa is fully committed to Yokel. It seems that way. Yeah. And I think we're going to find later on that there's a way that she may have been able to spy on her family unseen. Oh. So she led Yokel to the cave and she knew he was intending to kill everyone inside. Hmm. Right. So I think we can assume at this point she's all in with Yokel. I had not even considered that that's exactly what happened. There's a lot of stuff in this in this little story. A lot of little weirdness. Well, yeah. that, that's left unsaid, but if you read it carefully, you can piece it all together how it happened. Right. So we'll just do it. We'll we'll call back to this one now. Yeah. So it, it's getting late, and both Sort and Sorpa are now worried that their sons haven't returned from their mission yet. Sorpa that's probably a wise thing I to worry so. about. Sorpa suggests that they go look for the boys, which is what they do. But Yokel and Ulf are ready for them when they exit the room. As Sort leaves, Yokel strikes quickly with his sword, severing Sort's arm from his body. Surprise! <laughs> it's a hell of a surprise. <laughs> Sort screams and throws himself at Yokel. And mm. once again, Yokel finds himself in a death match against a superior opponent. 
Oh, come on. He could beat this guy with one arm tied. Oh, oh that's too soon. It just uh, He just lost his I, arm. I understood that uh, that we decided that Yokel couldn't be deathmatched again. Well, I don't think Yokel takes George W's aphorisms very seriously at all. Uh, he's not the only one. <laughs> oh, oh, very current. Very current. <laughs> <laughs> While Yokel is the weaker of the two, he is far more agile. Plus, Sort is losing a lot of blood very quickly, which is to Yokel's advantage. Because before mm. long, Sort begins to lose his strength. Yokel takes the opportunity to hook Sort's heel and knock him over. And then he grabs Sort's neck and twists until it breaks. Yeah, that seems like a, that's, that's a lot of effort. <laughs> well, you gotta uh, kill now a troll. Meanwhile, Ulf is struggling under Serpa. She's got him pinned, and she's crouched over him trying to bite his windpipe Oh, out. poor Ulf. Yeah, but that's okay. He's got a he's got a good friend nearby. Uh, Yoko walks up behind her, grabs her chin in both hands, and puts his knees in her back. Oh, oh, here we go, folks. He's got her locked into the crossface. Yoko's got her locked in. Can she hold out or will she tap? The crossface? <laughs> well, she's not going to give in so easily. Aww. She says, Are you going to play such a cheap trick on me, Yoko? That's exactly what's going to happen, Yokel responds, and then breaks her back. And that's how Sort and Surpa meet their ends. Well, and the three sisters. Uh, yes. Yokel's kind of merciless. Uh, but as we've seen in, in other shorts, it's not uncommon for troll families to meet their ends in this way. Mm-hmm. Heroes kill trolls. Sometimes in great numbers. It's just what they do. It's a pretty brutal end for old Sort and Surpa. But there is a lesson in there. What lesson? Well, don't be a troll. Huh. Especially if there's a hero around. It's not a great lesson, but... (laughs) Yeah, especially if you're already a troll. Right. And it's more than a little speciesist, I'd like to add. Uh. Well, it is 2018 America. (laughs) Sure. Uh, Now, now the trolls are all dead, or at least the ones in this house are all dead, Ulf and Yokel take a moment to explore the cave. Mm-hmm. They find lots of great stuff, uh, including piles of gold and silver, which are utterly useless to them in their current circumstances. Uh, <laughs> fine clothes so that they can all dress up for their dinner with one another in their abandoned cave. Maybe uh, have a, a Yule parade sure, or a Yule play. Sure. Uh, lots of rare treasures. Uh, it's, imp- it's an impressive haul, but uh, without yeah. a ship, <laughs> yeah, well, it's, uh, you know, it's a can- limited use. They can ogle it together. But it, it's right. all in a day's work for a couple of monster killers. Oh, uh, did Ulf really do that much? Do we have a couple of monster killers? Well, he killed the one sister. And, and he occupied Sorpa while Yokel right. dealt with Sert. So I'd say he was useful. Right. He occupied her by flashing his biteable neck at her. Yes, he's like, uh, look at this. Right. So we could say he's not entirely useless. No, not entirely. Uh, without Ulf the Skipper, Yokel maybe couldn't have beaten all the trolls. Uh, actively useful, I think, is still a bit strong. So now that they've uh, seen the spoils of their efforts, the two men decide to head back to the hall and uh, find out how the men have fared against those troll brothers. Oh, that's right. The troll brothers. Surely Gnipa helped take care of that little problem, don't you think? Well, I'm sure that's what uh, Ulf and Yokel are hoping. But as they're walking down the hill, they hear voices. Mm. Deep voices. Troll voices. Uh Uh-oh. And then up over the hill come the three troll brothers. Siom, Sneedle, and Ethel, running in single file, each with a large bundle over their shoulders. Oh my, that's not good. Yeah, it's not good They've at all. They've got bundles. Yeah, no, it's a, if the Hobbit taught me anything, and it didn't, 
Uh, <laughs> it's that three trolls with bundles uh, probably are smuggling heroes. Oh. Uh, now, in this case, no. Yokel leaps out from his hiding place. Surprise! Uh, and strikes a mighty blow to the crown of Siom's head, splitting it down to the shoulders. Good on you, Yokel. There you go. And uh, I think you'll enjoy this one, Andy. Ulf, meanwhile, runs its needle with a spear. Yay. He hits the troll at the nape of the neck. Well. And Sneedle goes down with his legs twitching. Yeah, see, that to me is a little too realistic. I prefer the more fantastic <laughs> splitting of the head, the twitching legs now. You don't like the uh, the idea of the spear in his brainstem? No, uh, I don't yeah, like it at all. I hate to break it to you, Andy, but that the head splitting might be fairly realistic as well. Have you ever actually hit a guy at the top of the head with a sharp sword? Not to my knowledge, they no. They do a lot but, of damage, you know. But you're right. Yeah, most of these wounds are realistic. There's just something about the legs twitching that makes me uncomfortable. Feels <laughs> yeah, more real. I can see that. Uh, they aren't describing him like losing control of his bowels or anything in his death throes or at least. No. Uh, now, if Yokel and Ulf were smart, they would have started by attacking Ethel. Mm-hmm. Because they were told earlier by Gnipa that he was the worst of the brothers to deal with. And it turns out she's right. Uh, Ethel has a sharp sword, which he plunges into Yokel's thigh. That gets both men's attention, as you might mm-hmm. imagine. And they have to team up against this raging troll. And the fight must take hours. They battle hither and yon like Cuchulain and that other guy he fights Absolutely with forever. Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they kill him very quickly, actually. So then why bother saying that Ato is the <laughs> toughest of the brothers? I mean, that's a missed opportunity. Uh-huh. I mean, the hardest fight Yokel faced was against one of Nipa's sisters and then her old father who bled who bled out from a severed arm. Yeah, that's true. I mean, you'd think the final battle would be slightly more dramatic. Uh, I would think so. Although maybe the author's just tired of troll fights. We're getting a lot of troll fights here, just a couple of pages, Andy. At some point, enough is enough. I don't know that he's tired of troll fights just yet, but uh, <laughs> moving on. Yokel and Ulf are both tired and wounded. Yeah, I, mean, I imagine they're exhausted. They've killed, what, uh, eight trolls? Eight trolls. Mm-hmm. Yeah, three, uh, trolls. Three, three sisters, three brothers, and two parents. Yep. And Yokel did most of the work. I, Ulf only managed to uh, run his spear through two of them. I mean, that's not surprising. The Skipper's a side character. It's Gilligan's show, after all. Well, Gilligan and Yokel are so similar, mm-hmm. sure. Uh, but your, your point stands, yeah. So now while these boys lick their wounds, uh, Gnipa pops up over the hillside to greet them. Oh, well, isn't that convenient? Where was she five minutes ago when they were tangling with her brothers? Well, I mean, it turns out she wasn't entirely useless. Uh, as promised, she went down to the shore to protect the sailors from her brothers. And oh, she managed girl. to save, well, 12 of the 18 men. So that isn't terrible, considering her father wanted everyone dead, right? Yeah. And speaking of her father, how does she take the news of his demise? Oh, very well, actually. Uh, she says, It's great news indeed that you've killed my father and my mother, my sisters and brothers. Oh, lovely. What a gal. Yeah, don't worry. She's a, She's got an angle here. Uh, Gnipa notes that in killing her family, Yokel has already avenged the six sailors who died at her brother's hands. But she also says, Bear in mind that I have suffered a great loss of kinsmen, and I hope you will compensate me for it before we part. Aha, <laughs> uh-huh, of course. Now, even though she's happy that her family is dead, she's still within her rights to seek compensation. Exactly. Uh, and note that she's uh, she's balanced the sheet for Yokel since he's mm-hmm. pre-avenged the deaths of the sailors. <laughs> 
pre-avenged. That's I right. like that. It's a dangerous concept. Can get, <laughs> uh, get you in trouble sometimes, but well, I like it. Sure. Uh, now, Yogel swears to compensate her fairly, which uh, is smart. Uh, and the mm-hmm. two work together to bind all these surviving men's wounds. Pretty soon, everyone is healthy and happy. Gnipa stays with the men in the hall for most of the time. Everyone is getting along just great. And all is going well until one night, a few days before Yule, Gnipa disappears. Oh, no. Part four. Leave it to Yokel. Well, I expected better. It it works. But I expected better from you. (laughs) I'm terribly sorry. Well, too obvious. I mean, I was toying with uh, Gnipa knows best. <laughs> that, that's funny. But uh, leave it to Yokel does make more sense. So I guess yeah. you're forgiven. Oh, you're too kind. You're too kind. Uh, so where has uh, Gnipa gone? Well, she had disappeared a few days before Yule. And mm-hmm. everyone is wondering what happened to that helpful little troll whose lips hang down to her chest. And then, on the night before Yule, Yokel spots her. Along the beach. Oh, wait. Did you just say on the night before Yule? Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm not sure how to make sense of the timeline <laughs> here. <laughs> so she disappears a couple of days before Yule and then yep. turns up the day before Yule. Mm-hmm. So how has she gone long enough for anyone to notice? I mean, that's a concerned. fair question. Uh, but when asked by Yokel, she says that she'd been wandering far and wide. Right. For an entire day. Yes. <laughs> Wait, how far yes. could she have gone? Not too far, but that's not important. Mm. What is important is that Gnipa has been invited to a Yule feast. Good for her. There's and someone she, else around here? It, it turns out there is. And mm. she wants Yokel to come along. I want, I want you to remember that Olam Lengri Fjord is, is very, very long. Well, sure. It's longer <laughs> than most. Right, you're, you're liable to have people living all along its Lengri. <laughs> That's all along, yes, okay. You could. Anyway, she wants Yokel to come along. And of course, mm-hmm. Yokel wants to know who invited her. It was Scram, who is king of all the wilderness. And all giants are afraid of him. Oh, that sounds just lovely. Why <laughs> wouldn't I want to go? Naturally, I assume I can kill everyone there. Well, he has a son called Grimner. Oh, he'll look great after I break him in half. Just like your mother. Remember that? Ah, An extremely promising man, Grimner. Hmm. By no means lacking behind his father. Oh, I see. Wink, wink. He's so outstanding among all the young men that every girl wants him for herself. Oh, you old dog, Nipa. You just can't quit, can you? Well, he's 12 years old now. Um, I would think you had succeeded well, my friend Yorkel. If I could have him. <laughs> well, you've definitely got a type, Nipa. I'll see what I can do. <laughs> she does like the 12-year-olds. Yes, she uh, does. So with that, they're off. And uh, it isn't that far away after all. Uh, so one day actually makes sense for the traveling. Yeah, it does. Uh, Yokel follows Gnipa along the fjord deep into the night until they arrive at some large cliffs. Up along a narrow path, they find a cave. At that point, she stops Yokel and tells him, Now King Scram has invited all the giants and giantesses who live in the wilderness, and they will carry you to hell as soon as they see you. Well, that's encouraging. 
But, well, hang on. Nipa doesn't want that to happen. She pulls a little ring from her pocket mm-hmm. and says, Here is a ring which I will give you. If you put it on your finger, the stone has the power to make you as invisible as you want. Hold it, hold it. Uh huh. A ring. Yes. That makes him invisible. Correct. Now, I, I only know of two other rings like that. You've got mm-hmm. Plato's Ring of Gyges. Ooh, going deep right away. Oh, well, you got to go the obscure one first. Uh, what's the uh, what's the uh, what's the other ring? Well, the obvious one, mm-hmm. the one ring to rule them all, Bilbo's ring. I mean, okay, that's the one, but I think uh, there are certain princes of darkness <laughs> that would probably <laughs> object to the Bilbo's ring classification. Well, yeah, I think of it as Bilbo's ring. Mm-hmm. Now, to the best of my knowledge, having only taught one Tolkien course in my days at Kent State. Uh, I haven't seen any reference to Yokel Stouter Buisson. Mm-hmm. There's always a debate over the literary influences that inspired Tolkien and his creation of the ring, but people typically settle on the Ring of Gyges from Plato's Republic, which does grant invisibility, or on the rings from Norse legend, like uh, Draupnir from the Edda, or the cursed ring on Vananot from Volsunga Saga and mm-hmm. later Wagner operas. But I've never encountered any mention of the ring that Knipa just gave to Yokel. Well, that's not terribly surprising. I mean, this this text just isn't as well known as any of those. True. I, I'm going to assume, by the way, that Tolkien did read this, uh, just because well, of the similarity. His, yeah, he loved mm-hmm. his old Norse texts and spent right, a lot yeah, of time with them. Yeah. Uh, well, and you know, there are certain other invisible ring stories that do seem familiar. Uh, mm-hmm. Have a familiar ring, if you will. Oh. oh. Uh, uh, off the top of my head, I can't remember him referencing it anywhere. Uh, but for the record, uh, I think this is a secondary text in many ways. I mean, let's let's just admit that what we're reading here is not it's not on anybody's sort of must read list. No, definitely not. Um, and I think the ring is an example of that. Right? It's 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 written by someone who's drawing on more well known stories. It's not a primary legend in its own right. This author is probably drawing on a lot of the same sources or legends that Tolkien is. Now, having said that. I do think there's a pretty nifty amount of overlap here with uh, with Bilbo's original encounter with the One Ring. Given what's about to happen, I'd say that we have something here. Dear listeners, if you've ever read The Hobbit, then Yogel's handling of this situation is going to sound very familiar. And dear listeners, if you've ever read a 19th century novel, then Andy's phrasing is going to sound very familiar. When did we start with dear listeners? <laughs> uh, Yogel puts on the ring, disappears from sight. Mm-hmm. And enters the cave at Nippa's side. Yeah. Yokel watches from within his invisibility as the trolls in the hall get up from both benches to greet Nippa. Scram acknowledges her and tells her that she can begin serving the guests. Wait a minute. So her invitation wasn't to feast with the others, but to serve them? Uh, apparently, yes. So she's just there working as a waitress. No. No, 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 no. Not at all. Well, uh, I mean, to the modern eye, maybe... But uh, as a woman in this culture, I well, think... Troll, troll culture? Okay, huh? yes. Point made. Point made. <laughs> I mean the culture of the author and audience. Ah, uh, well, very good. Right. The duties of a hostess, sure, you, you're expected to serve, but I think it's less about servitude and more about hospitality. Well, that's all very good, but she's not a hostess. Mm-hmm. She's also a guest in this hall, and she's not in a position of power either. Well, okay. I mean, that's fair. 
But on the other hand, she's a troll of a good family. I think that we should mm-hmm. point that out. And she does have her eye on <laughs> a the... A troll of a good family. I'm a troll of a Which good family. Which she has uh, conspired against to murder entirely. No, I don't think anyone else knows that yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she does have her eye on this young troll prince. Sure. Uh, so her role, I guess, is a little complicated. I agree. I mean, she's taking on a serving role, but her actions, I think they also suggest a certain amount of control within the household. For example... We're told she serves the men the strongest ale available. Ah, so she likes a good craft ale. I, I mean, mean, well, who doesn't? Yeah. And and it also means that she's got access to the household stores, which is kind right, of Right, cool. right. So, so she's arrogating certain privileges of the household that suggest she's already in a position of, if not power, then at least she's, she's well in with the family. Uh, although she's not being treated very well by the king. No. <laughs> Oh, and, and that's her prospective father-in-law mm-hmm. uh, and the guy whose household she's got to live in if she does marry the prince. But uh, Well, I mean, unless there's some kind of, you know, terrible accident. And if I know Gnipa. Like, then... uh, <laughs> like an invisible mass murderer getting loose in the king's hall. Yeah, yeah I like this. I, I think we're seeing a hint of why she's so willing and eager to strike up this strangers on a train situation with Yokel. Strangers on a on a fjord, maybe. Uh, sure, if that helps you. <laughs> but yeah, I do like this idea. Like, yeah, it's a it's a nice hole you got here. It'd be a shame if something happened to it. Uh, now she's helping Yokel to cut down her own family, in exchange for his help cutting down the family of the young troll she wants to marry. Oh, so nice. And Yokel's getting out of this that he gets to live and save his friends. So everybody wins, and everyone else loses. Hey, almost an eggs, Andy. Uh, so, Nippa serves the Imperial IPAs to the men, Lucky who boys. drink quickly and soon consume far more than they can handle. And the feast starts to get a little rowdy. Yokel listens as trolls exchange insults, attack one another, exchange punches, pull each other's hair. Mm. It's quite a quite a brouhaha. Yes, and Yokel isn't impressed with their raucous behavior. Mm-hmm. Eventually, he just can't stand to watch anymore. Still mm-hmm. wearing the ring, invisible to everyone there, he rushes into the crowd and just starts killing everyone. And because no one can see who's doing the killing, they start accusing each other. Mm-hmm. And that's when things get really crazy. The trolls <laughs> turn on one another and begin smashing and killing everything in sight until no one but Scram, Grimnir, Gnipa, and Yokel is left alive. That's convenient. Yeah. Uh, but uh, Scram isn't going to last long. Uh, Yokel sneaks up behind here. him. That's right. Uh, he's got... <laughs> <laughs> you get it? There. Uh, I like that one. Cross-lingual like joke. Uh, that's right. Uh, Yokel sneaks up behind him and runs him through with his sword. Ah, surprise! Uh, yeah, that's not a not quite the the uh, skedaddling that you were hoping for. No. Uh, Scrum's son Grimnir saw this happen, but he's flummoxed by what he's just witnessed. Uh, this wound opens up on his father, but there's no yeah. explanation. There's no one there to cause his father's death. Now, realizing that some sort of trickery or magic is afoot. Grimnir starts swiping at the air, waving his arms all around the cave. Yes, and Yokel thinks this is great fun. He watches this this giant kind of fumbling around the cave Mm -hmm. for a little while, but eventually takes the ring off to reveal himself to Grimnir. And as you'd expect, a violent wrestling match ensues. Of course there was. (laughs) You know, there's a little too much wrestling in this one for me. A lot. Uh, It's another death match for Yokel. That's (laughs) He just can't help himself. No. No, he loves it. And once again, they roll all over the hall, destroying Mm -hmm. everything in their path. 
I mean, next time I read Beowulf, I'm going to be so disappointed in the in the Grendel matches. Okay, yeah, <laughs> the, the relative paucity of wrestling matches. <laughs> but in the end, Grimnir falls. Mm. He's not dead though. No, no, no. He's just on the ground, and Yokel mm-hmm. has the advantage. Right now, that's when Gnipa chimes in. Now, my Yokel. <laughs> oh my God! Remember what you promised me. Yokel agrees and then turns to Grimnir with a familiar ultimatum. <laughs> now, Grimnir, he says, you have two choices. One is for me to kill you on the spot. The other is for you to marry my friend Gnipa. Then you would be king over Jotunheimer, as your father was, and I will give you all the wealth your father left. I mean, it's a good deal, I guess, but, I mean, <laughs> but good lord. Uh, now, Grimner agrees with uh, almost unseemly haste. Yes. Uh, and with this resolution of the conflict, the happy union of Gnipa and her betrothed arranged, Yokel is free to explore the cave and its treasures. Uh, of course, he's just given them away. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, as you'd expect, he finds rooms full of gold, more silver, more valuable items. He also finds something unexpected. Or someone. Someone's. Someone's. Or someone's. Deeper in the cave, he finds two people, a man and a woman, chained to the same chair. Uh-huh. They were both thin and in desperate shape, though Yoko could see their noble and handsome appearance shining through despite everything. Because they're noble. Right, there you go. You yeah. can tell. The man speaks up and says, I am Vitzirk, the son of King Sultan of the land of the Saracens. This is my sister, Marsabilla. The giant Scram brought us here by witchcraft. He was going to make my sister marry his son, Grimnir. We've been here for five years. I am 15 years old now, and my sister is 13. It's only due to Marsabilla that I've survived this long. She told Scram and his son that the Norns had prophesied that she would die immediately if I were put to death. And they believed it. No, clever thinking on her part. Uh And it helps that trolls are notoriously gullible. But Yokel then frees the captives and assures them that Scram and the other trolls have all been dealt with. Mm -hmm. I want to say just a side note here that uh, Fitzirk is a remarkably uh, self-possessed young man. He's been (laughs) tied to a chair with his sister for five years. Yeah. A man comes rushing in, presumably sword still covered in gore. Mm -hmm. Uh, And his response is to say... Hello, my name is Fitzirk. This well, is my sister, Marcevilla. Uh, he, 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 he goes on for a while. <laughs> he, does the, he does the appropriate introductions. I think that's, that's remarkable. Right. Yeah. So the anyway, three, the, no, no problem. The three humans stay in the hall with Gnipa and Grimnir for a few nights, mm-hmm. uh, apparently cleaning up, I'm hoping. <laughs> right. There's a lot of dead trolls around. Uh, well, and presumably the area directly underneath the chair they've been tied to for five years needs a little tidying up <laughs> I as well. Hope it's cleaned up a little, yeah. <laughs> Um, but then after a few nights, uh, they prepare to return to Ulf and his crew back on the shores of Orlamlengrifjord. Now, being the generous hosts that they are, Grimner and Gnipa uh, load Yokel down with fine gifts, including a beautiful toffle board. Nice. A lot of those lately. Yeah. Uh, some gold embroidered clothing and a beautiful sword, which uh, uh, is subsequently called Grimner's Gift which uh, Yoko will be carrying with him for the rest of his life. Ah, oh, that's nice. And with all of this fine treasure and two new friends, Yoko rejoins the crew of the shipwreck back in their shoreline hall. And together they pass a long winter and spring in comfort, thanks to the supplies that Gnipa had gathered for them. Mm-hmm. And then, on the first day of summer, 
Yokel receives a visit from Grimnir and Gripa. Grimnir asks Yokel to join them on the beach. Oh, let me guess. He's found another family that needs killing. <laughs> no, no. The killing's all done. Oh, he wants lovely. to show Yokel a beautiful ship, ready to hey. set sail, fully stocked with cargo. He says, Here, Yokel, is a boat which I and your friend Gnipa want to give to you. We have been building it over the winter. <laughs> that's a... Uh... That's sort of a Yoda on steroids voice. <laughs> yes, uh, yeah. Very muscly. <laughs> uh, now, Yokel thanks his friends and says they can keep all the goods left in Gnipa's father's cave. That's nice. Uh, Grimnir and Gnipa tell Yokel to call on them if he ever needs anything. And then they say, Now we must part for the time being. From sight, but not from friendship. I like that ending. Yeah, it's not quite over. Oh. Uh, Yokel gathers his men, and they finally set sail, uh, putting Olumlingri Fjord at their backs after nearly a year of living there. Yokel, being a true adventurer, says, presumably just to the room at large, where shall we go from here? <laughs> Classic Yokel. <laughs> now, not surprisingly, Fitzerk speaks up and says, if it were up to me, we would go to the land of the Saracens. Oh, he's sounding a lot better after a winter of plenty. Well, he, he did well. Yeah, uh, that's a uh, that's pretty vague though. Land of the Saracens. Does he have somewhere particular in mind? Wherever he's from, I guess. I mean, it doesn't uh-huh. really matter anyway, because Yokel tells Sveitserk to take over and sail the ship wherever he pleases. Well, right. in fairness, we should remember that Yokel is not a skipper. No. <laughs> uh, as far as we know, he's been on exactly two previous voyages in his life: the one that brought him to Iceland, and then the the one that ended so disastrously and stranded him in Greenland. Yeah. Uh, and he wasn't captain of either one of those ships. So, I kind I know. do, I do wonder what Ulf and the other men have to say about this. They're like, "Oh, we're going to the land of the Saracens." What? <laughs> I want to go home. Have you guys heard of the Crusades? Yeah. My wife was pregnant when I left. <laughs> I'd like to meet my child. Anyway, with the good wind at their backs, they soon arrive in the port where King Solden, Fitzerk's father, lives. Yeah, that was easy. Uh, it's incredible how easy sea journeys get near the ends of stories, isn't it? Well, I mean, unless the end of the sea journey is, and then they were never heard from again. Well, that happens. <laughs> That's also a very quick way of ending a story. Yeah. Uh, now, King Sultan, whose name I I should indicate, is basically King Sultan. That's very smart. Uh, it's, it's uh, yeah, it's very clever there on the part of the author. King Sultan uh, comes down to the dock. He is joyously reunited with his children. Uh, remember, Hitzik and Marcebella are brother and sister. Uh, afterward, everyone joins the king for a huge feast in the hall, because this saga is all about feasts and wrestling matches. <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, sorry, the thotter. Thotter, not a saga. Yeah. Uh, the king sits on the high seat with his son on one side and Yokel on the other. To heck with Marcebella. Yeah, what? She's uh, serving the alcohol. Right, sure. Uh, Hitzer tells his father the whole story of his misfortune and the heroic rescue by Yokel. There's entertainment, singing, bassoon playing, all kinds of music, some dancing, even some spiced wine and claret. Oh, a nice touch. This author clearly knows his Saracen feast, doesn't he? Yeah, I like the bassoon playing particularly. Yeah. I played bassoon in high school. You did. High school. You did not. Yeah. You did. Can you still play? 
<laughs> Sorry, I should have been clear. I, I was assigned a bassoon in seventh grade. Ah. It, uh, it, it didn't work out. <laughs> ah, just like you in the school. So you and uh, right. you and your bassoon broke things off, I take it. Well, we decided on a mutually amicable parting. Ah. Um, rather well, you, like the split reed that characterizes the bassoon. Well, you, you so could that, have... That is literally uh, the a, only thing I remember about bassoons, by the way. <laughs> Sorry. Well, I think you could have been a hit at, the, uh, at a Saracen feast. Absolutely, I could have. Well, you missed your uh, calling. With or without a musical instrument. Uh, now, anyway, on the second day of the feast, uh, Yokel asks King Soldan for the hand of his daughter, Princess Marsabilla, who we've yet to hear a word from. That don't matter. The, the match is settled and the wedding is arranged. And uh, did they ask Marsabilla how she felt about any of this? Did you hear me say that we haven't heard a word from her yet? Well, that's you and... Uh, yeah, it doesn't, even, it doesn't even mention that. Uh, she's uh. marrying Yokel, her savior, right? How bad could it be? <laughs> Not bad at all, because it's a good deal for Yokel. Marsabilla is then brought in and given half of her father's vast kingdom, described sure. here as the land of the Saracens. Right, you know, that land. You know, all of it. So everybody <laughs> wins. That just kicks off an even bigger celebration. All right. Let's let's cancel the uh, reunion feast and have a wedding feast. All right. The, uh, the combined party lasts a full fortnight. Call more yeah. bassoon players. That's right. That's right. Bring them all in. Each of them with a split read. Now, when it's all over, everyone leaves with fine gifts. Ah. And Yokel and Vitsek become good friends, swearing oaths of brotherhood to each other. Seems superfluous. I mean, weren't they already going to be brothers-in-law? Yeah, that's true. But this is a more formal bond of kinship and loyalty for the two men. And they do seem to enjoy each other's company quite a lot because they often go out raiding together. And we're told they sought fame and fortune, killing berserks and gangs of robbers, but always letting merchants go in peace. That's very kind. It is. Now, these these two adventure for six years together before settling down on their estates. Eventually, uh, King Soldan dies because, uh, you know, the plot needs him to. Uh, yep. Fitzirk is left to rule in his place. Fitzirk gets himself a queen, who's the daughter of the king of Blaland. And he gives uh, Yokel power over the realm and the name of king. And everyone lives happily ever after. See. Things really turned out well for Yokel after sure. that wrestling match with Bua back in Kjallarnes. Sure, he spent a summer stranded at sea and suffered a terrible shipwreck, but all of that led to his union with Marsabella and Fitzek. It really couldn't have gone better, could it? Part 5. Give me a break. Ooh. Give me a break. I sure deserve it. Wow. Something like Good that. Neil Carter. I, I, I appreciate that you didn't think I was doing a reference to Kit Kat commercials. No, no, no. No, I doubt you ever watched Give Me a Break, John. Come on. I watched I I mean I'm not proud of this. <laughs> Did you really? I, I was I, I watched um quite a lot of Give Me a Break as a kid. Wow, me too. Um, I mean I was I was a huge fan of Many 80s sitcoms, uh, a surprising number of which were about live-in servants of upper-middle-class white families. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a little <laughs> odd. So, so uh, why uh, why do we have another section here? I thought we were done. That's an excellent <laughs> question. <laughs> it is. <laughs> we're done with the story, but uh, you said earlier that you wanted to talk about the themes of the Thouter at the end. Ah. Plus, you, uh, you know, you wanted another old sitcom section title. I could see it in your eyes. I couldn't let you down. Uh, let me down? It's far too late for that, John. But uh, I do like Aww, I do like the sitcom title. 
Uh, all right. So what did you want to say about the Thouter? We'd, uh, we don't usually do discussion sections on these shorts. That's true. I honestly thought that we'd have time because I genuinely expected that this very, very short short would uh, be done quickly. Uh, but uh, yeah, you should know better by now. Uh, Yokel's Thouter is far less than Haravnkel. And we've spent more time on it than we have on some sagas. That's only because we didn't know what we were doing when we first started this podcast. I mean, the floodgates or, on digressions and discussions have long since been broken. Yeah, I'm going to put out there that the other possibility is that we've forgotten what we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> and have become far more self-indulgent as we go. That's true. Sorry, listeners. Uh, we're or we're you're providing welcome. more, certainly. Uh, and I'm going to assume that uh, more is better. Yeah. Uh, quantity has a quality all its own. Any, but I'm not sure if that's a good thing. Anyways, so Yokel Stalter Buasonar is written as a sequel to Kjalnasinga Saga, likely sometime mm-hmm. in the 15th century. And it bears all the hallmarks of the post-classical era of saga literature. Right. Now, this isn't your standard is lending a Thouter. Uh, we mentioned in the first saga short that these are the short tales of Icelanders. Right? They typically feature their adventurers going abroad and going to the court of Norway. Yes. Uh, and while this one doesn't feature uh, an Icelander or a trip to Norway, it uh, does at least start out in Iceland, kind of. And it, it follows the protagonist on his adventures abroad. Greenland's yeah. not an a, a unusual place to land in one of the thousand. We're going to call this avant-garde post-saga <laughs> yes. period. Yeah, what we've got here is a blending of the genre with the style and formulas mm-hmm. of the Fornodasogar and the Riddarasogar. We already mm-hmm. mentioned the parallels with Thorstein Stauter Oxafots, um, but a lot of what happens in this... It's Thorstein Bull's leg, by the way, for uh, those of you who uh, haven't got your translators sorry on. Sorry about that. Um, but a lot of what happens in this story of Yokel matches the legendary saga of Hafdan Brannas Fosterling. Um, there, oh. In that one, we have a shipwreck, a helpful troll, a magic ring, the rescue of a noble, ch- uh, the rescue of noble children, a mission on behalf of a troll mm-hmm. woman that results in the hero marrying a princess named Marsabil, and even <laughs> an eventual kingship. That is a uh, that is fairly close. It's very very close. <laughs> uh, now I don't remember when was that one written. When was Hafdan's uh, uh, written? Uh, definitely earlier, thinking uh, 14th century. Um, and, and there's a lot to say about oh. this story from a comparative lit standpoint, but mm-hmm. yeah, I'm even if it is uh, kind of uh, plagiarized or or just uh, an analog. If <laughs> I'm 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 really interested in the author's handling of Nipa because the marriage stuff. Absolutely, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when we first meet her, we find out that she's interested in the prospect of marrying Yokel. Now I ask why? Because any girl that marries him, she says, will be set uh, will be well set up. <laughs> Well set up. There you go. That's a little better. <laughs> way off. Oh, is it really? <laughs> it's fine. Oh, well set up. That's there. better. And in her subsequent conversations with Yoko, we learn more about her situation. Remember, she's the youngest of seven siblings. Well, okay. Only very recently. <laughs> Remember, she was the next to youngest of eight before Yoko lopped her younger sister Gate's head off. Yeah, poor Gate. And yeah. uh, when uh, talking, remember, when she's talking about her family situation, Nipa explains that she's got no hope of inheriting anything because her siblings won't allow it. And with mm-hmm. an aging father, Surt, who isn't doing much to set her up with a good husband, Nipa has very few prospects. 
Thus, the mm-hmm. careful maneuvering she does throughout the text to put herself in a position to not only take advantage of her father's wealth, but to seize for herself the best marriage prospect a young troll girl could hope for. King of all the wilderness. I mean, a lot of trolls have to die to make this happen. Sure, but it's a fantasy. It's a troll girl's fantasy, right? And the, the folk... <laughs> well, it is about trolls. Yeah. The, the focus of the story is on Yokel and his adventures, of course. But Gnipa's concerns throughout are telling, I think. Mm-hmm. I like the way the story is written with an awareness of the female perspective and a, an appreciation for the anxiety that might come with the uncertainty real women and in Gnipa's position might actually feel. Gnipa is very specific about her frustrations and the source of her anxiety. And she's also very aggressive in pursuit of a solution to her mm-hmm. problems. And it all works out well, notably with the elimination of any family interference. I mean, okay, it's it's a rather violent, I mean, one, one might almost call it a sociopathic pursuit of her goals. Mm-hmm. Uh, but go ahead. Yeah. But think about all the, uh, all the romance sagas that we, we've, we've read so far. If, if the woman could just do what Ganipa does, it would be so much easier. Right. Just uh, just do away with the entire family. Yeah. If Romeo and Juliet decided to team up with Mercutio and just <laughs> slaughter their families. Right. Although I don't think, you know, I should say, I don't think the author's advocating the slaughter of anyone's family. Of course not. <laughs> <laughs> that should go without. Well, Do you feel like we needed to add that caveat? <laughs> I, I, well, there's a lot of family killing here. Uh, but I, I right. do think that the attention to Gnipa's problem, the emphasis on the source of those problems, and her efforts to resolve them as best she can would certainly have resonated with a female audience, especially in the late 14th and early 15th centuries when women's rights and marriage were once again coming under scrutiny. And mm-hmm. what's really fascinating here is that Gnipa is allowed to voice her concerns and even do something about it. Uh, true, although whatever authorial agenda we might have find or whatever interest in the plight of women uh, may not be as pronounced as you are arguing for. Ouch, John. Why do you say that? Well, I said may. I said may. All right. Uh, I mean, you already said that this Stouter is deeply influenced by the style and formulas of the Fernaldersager and the Rosaragar. How much of this is just formula? Why does that have to be authorial? Hmm. That's a fair point. And actually, that's a good question. I mean, at what point does authorial agenda in a popular genre become mere literary formula? We could complicate that even further by asking how seriously Icelanders took these women's issues raised in the literature. One of the major differences between Icelandic literature before the capitulation and after is the influence of continental romance. Mm-hmm. The late 13th and early 14th centuries brought in a new aristocracy with new tastes for fashions, and and these are the fashions of the Norwegian court that are then influenced by the the, con- the continent. And so we mm-hmm. find the emergence of romance themes in saga literature, a willingness to play with genre, and a renewed interest in women's behavior and sexuality. Now, it's possible that Icelandic audiences didn't care at all about the issues themselves, but from the number of court cases about the legitimacy of betrothals and marriages at this time and the fights that Mm -hmm. erupted between families over these issues, I think that suggests that they did care about it. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think Jokul's Thauter Buasanar fits nicely into this moment. But, uh, you know, you don't seem entirely convinced. How do you read the handling of (laughs) Nipa in the Thauter? No, no, I think it does make sense. Oh, thank Uh, you. I think there's also the, you know, when you, even when we do talk about that distinction between uh, formal and authorial the themes, uh, the author is still choosing to participate in those themes, yes. even if they are formal. Uh, but I'm not thinking about how much the character is handled so much as what she is. Mm. There's some really interesting genre mixing going on here. Uh, Gnipa, for example, uh, uh, Gnipa seems like a riff on 
medieval loathly lady stories to me. Mm, really? Uh, the tradi- yeah, the traditional loathly lady story is a, a witch or a hag who has, say, a troll hag, for example, oh. who has knowledge or somehow stands in the way of the hero's task. Uh, when the hero eventually makes overtures toward the lady, often in exchange for information, she transforms into a younger and beautiful woman. Probably still a witch, though. Okay, sure. And for anyone who's familiar with it, the actual Wife of Bath's Tale in the Canterbury Tales is a good example mm-hmm. of this. But I, I, I don't know. Agnipa doesn't transform. I don't know if I'm really buying no, but, what you're selling here. Yeah, but hang on to that for a second. Right. I said this was a riff on those stories. The Loathly Lady at its core is about how a smart but unattractive woman uses a handsome hero uh, to team up to get what she wants. Mm. Usually that's the hero himself. But in this case, Gnipa's already got a young man in mind for herself. And it's not Yokel. Uh, but she uses Yokel to eliminate her own family and Prince Grimner's family. So by the end of the story, she can marry Grimner. She's a queen who can then reward Yokel with a generous gift of a ship. Hmm. That's not as bad as I thought it was going to be. I don't know how fully I see it as a lonely <laughs> lady story, but I think it's neat. You got something there. Well, I think it's I think it's pretty close when we consider that the author probably isn't concerned with perfect imitation of the genre. Hmm. Right? Again, you know, the question of formal versus authorial. This isn't meant as an illustration of the Stith Thompson motif index. I think it's an error that we fall into as modern readers a lot when we assume that authors were deliberately trying to check every box when they wrote stories. Let's give them uh, some credit for actually being able to create. Yeah. Well, I said I like it. Don't push your luck here. <laughs> it's what I do. Uh, now, the local lady stories, I know you know this, but yeah. uh, they grow out of Irish and British folk traditions. Yes. We've already established that Kjalnasinga Saga was particularly interested in that combination of Irish and Icelandic stories. It makes sense to me that the author of Jokulstauter would share and extend that interest. Hmm. That's interesting. And, and you know, there are actually other examples of lowly lady stories in Icelandic literature. you got to go to uh, Hrolf mm-hmm. Saga Kraka, I think, that has one. Yes. And uh, yeah. there are a few others are around. But okay, all right. I'll say it's at least possible. Minutely, oh, so generous. Minutely, but possible. So kind. Yeah. And on that altruistic note, we come to the end of another <laughs> fascinating episode of Saga Shorts. These are uh, supposed to be like 30 to 45 minutes, right? Yeah, yeah. How do we do on this one? Not good. Huh. Well, that's okay. Uh, I don't know if you know, but we have yet to do one that didn't span at least an hour. That's terrible. Ah, well, if you'd like to get in touch with us to complain about the length or to praise us <laughs> for it. Uh, or perhaps you want to share your thoughts on the uh, episode. Ask us any saga-related questions or just say hi. You can reach us through email at sagathingpodcast at gmail.com, on Facebook at sagathingpodcast, or where we're most active on Twitter, where we are sagathingpod. Uh, or if you aren't too keen on Elonic, uh, Elonic, Elonic, uh, it's it's the it's the Elonic form I like. Let's use the colonic uh, form. Hmm? Oh God! Uh, <laughs> now, if you aren't too keen on electronic forms of communication, you can write a letter, track down the Draken Harald Harfagra, and ask one of the crew to deliver it to us next time we visit the ship. Hmm. Now, somehow, I don't think the captain would appreciate that. Yeah, I seriously doubt yeah. it. I also doubt they'll be sailing up the Mississippi River anytime soon, so it's not coming to me. Well, that's uh, that sounds like a problem for you to deal <laughs> with. Uh, but you never know. I mean, LaSalle managed. How was uh, your visit to Draken, by the way? You went uh, this morning, didn't you? Oh, yes. Right. Uh, this is going to require a little bit of context, but uh, we were talking about on the Twitter account that this week, as we're recording this, 
the the Draken, uh, this example of a uh, medieval uh, Norwegian longship, has uh, docked here in Plymouth, Massachusetts, which is very close to where yes. I live. Uh, and so I've been down there with uh, my family and with uh, a friend of ours uh, to the ship to watch it actually sail in. And uh, now I'm going back tomorrow to actually tour the ship. Excellent. Yeah, I got to see it in it's very uh, exciting in uh, 2016 when uh, it came to Fairport Harbor. Yeah, yeah. Very, very fun. I had a, a great time. But uh, all right, John. Uh, we're going to be finishing up our papers for the Saga Conference in Reykjavik over the next week or so. And then you and I are off to Iceland together. Oh, my, yes. Yeah. Andy's heading out a little early to Iceland, I think, uh, aren't you, for a quick tour? Yes. You figured out where you're going yet? Yes, I have. Uh, I'm emphasizing hiking and camping as much as possible in part to mm-hmm. uh, keep costs down, but uh, also because I sure. genuinely enjoy it. So I'm going to mm-hmm. tour the southern coast as well as parts of Snaffelsnest Peninsula from August 7th mm-hmm. to 11th. And then... Uh, uh, make sure that you uh, climb Helga Fell. I, well, you know, I, it, I hear it takes a long time to get all the way to the top. So. Yeah, it's an <laughs> entire minute. But no, so part fast. of the reason I'm going to Snaffelsnest Peninsula is specifically to uh, see where Snorri Gothi lived. Mm-hmm. I want to see all the uh, the Erbidja Saga uh, haunts. <laughs> a little pun there. And uh, yeah. climb Helga Fell. So, uh, and mm-hmm. uh, on the twelfth, you show up for the conference, and we get uh, to our academic side That's of right. things, don't we? Should be a lot of fun. Yep. Uh, we should uh, check in and record something from Iceland about your experiences. Yeah, that would be fun. I would love to hear more about where you've been in Iceland. Now, you've done a lot more than I'll have accomplished in that five-day whirlwind tour. Well, I wouldn't be so sure. <laughs> uh, when I w- the longest trip I've had to Reykjavik, I spent there with my uh, very small children at the time. Oh. So I was uh, I visited the zoo many many times. Well, you can tell me about the sheep and the goats that you pet. Well, <laughs> I can also tell you that the cows there are uh, have a very fluid diet <laughs> um, and and like to defecate uh, in full view of the public, oh, that's, much to the delight of my children. That's great. Um, so if you uh, if you need your saga thing fixed before all of that, don't worry, we've got you covered. We're uh, posting our interview with Patricia Gonzalez and Stephen Fox, our favorite archery experts, which I think we've promised before. We have, but we're uh, really but doing we it. we really mean it this time. Yeah. Uh, it's a fun and informative interview. Yeah, it's definitely our least serious interview so far, um, but it's also <laughs> extremely informative and fascinating. And I think mm-hmm. that everyone will enjoy it. And uh, when we get back from Iceland, we'll start work on Floamana Saga. Floamana Saga. Uh, yeah. Now, we may even get started on it while we're in Iceland. Mm-hmm. Now, if you felt at home... Visiting Greenland during this saga short, you'll be happy to hear that we're headed back there with Thorgils. Ah, that's right. Uh, the, yeah, yeah. The, 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 I wouldn't say the main character, but a central character. Absolutely. Of yeah, I read the description of this one when John and I were talking about what to do next, and I just couldn't pass it up. Uh, and if anyone is looking for a copy to read, it's available along with Kjalnasinga Saga and Jokul Stauter Buasunner in Ben Wagoner's mm. little collection, Sagas of Giants and Heroes. I will provide you a link to that in our show notes. And uh, speaking of our show notes, if you guys are just listening to the podcast and not checking out all the cool stuff in there, you are missing out. Uh, Matt Smith, who's our uh, resident saga thing artist. A very prestigious, uh, a very prestigious oh, position, by the way. It certainly is. And he has graced us with another uh, original drawing for this episode. That's right. And I really, really like this one. And so did my children. They uh, were rolling on the floor laughing as they saw the progression of the, of the drawing. <laughs> um, I told him that it is absolutely amazing and also horrific. It is the stuff of nightmares. I like that he captured those saggy lips. That's why it's the stuff of nightmares. <laughs> yep. Yeah, you can see why Yokel didn't stop to listen to their proposal and just chopped Gates' head off. 
I mean, who would mm-hmm. want to see those two coming at you on a dark beach? <laughs> it's like a pair of those troll Muppets, who, who uh, by the way, I looked up during one of our pauses, and his name is Sweetums. Mm. So you no longer need to write in. Okay. Uh, but imagine, imagine the joy that Grimner has in being married to a, a Sweetums hag. <laughs> That Grimner's a lucky fella. Yes, he is. All right, everybody, that does it for this episode. Until next time, thanks for listening. Bye for now. Like uh, looking into those saga place names. So, uh, is this a real place? Sorry, the Hell's Angels are here. I need to uh, talk with them for a minute. Uh. <laughs> if, if they uh, give you any trouble, I want you to put on that song Tequila and dance on the bar. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm just going to stand out there and say, Take advantage of the fall now, man. <laughs>